listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. The outlook for oil and gas and their associated equities. That's the conversation we're delving into in today's edition of Intune. I'm Camilla Sutton, Head of Product Management and Equity Research at BMO Capital Markets, and I'm joined by my colleagues and deep experts in oil and gas, Randy Olenberger and Ray Kwan. Randy, let's start with you. We're recording this in late January, and oil prices are up in the high 80 range, the highest level since 2014. Walk us through what's behind this. Is it sustainable? And maybe most importantly, where do we go from here? Yeah, Camilla, that's a great set of questions. I mean, oil prices have been rallying of late, I think largely on the back of the uh, crisis that's emerging in Europe between uh, Ukraine and Russia and fears there that, you know, we could see a disruption in exports out of Russia. Russia, of course, exports about 4.6 million barrels a day of oil. And uh, Europe is the main destination for a lot of that oil. It takes a little over 50% of that production. And so I think there is a concern there that we could see some disruption in flows out of Russia. Uh, Maybe it won't be the full 4.6 million barrels a day, but certainly at a minimum, the oil that potentially would flow through Ukraine. The other thing that's playing into this is really, you know, demand has been recovering quite strongly. So the Omicron variant hasn't proved to be as virulent as uh, maybe was cons- people were concerned about at the outset. And so it hasn't had that big of an impact on demand. And oil demand seems to be recovering with a vengeance and hitting all-time highs. So we've already re- achieved pre-COVID levels, and we're now marching beyond that. And that's raised questions in the minds of the commodity market, and I think energy investors generally, is where is that oil supply going to come from to meet that demand? And th- that leads us to a discussion of you know OPEC and how much oil they're holding off the market. There is a view that um, you know there's some spare capacity right now in the world, maybe up to 6 million barrels a day if you include Iran in that number, uh, maybe closer to 4 million barrels a day, excluding Iran. But some market commentators think it's half that number. And certainly, if it is half that number, any disruptions in supply become very significant for oil prices. And that's really kind of gets us back to the sphere around what's going on with Russia and the Ukraine, because there's not enough spare capacity in the world to accommodate that sort of disruption. And that's really what's supporting the prices here. So I would say, you know, as we look at the oil price today in the high 80s, there's probably a risk premium of around $10 in that price. And I think, you know, it could move even higher. So certainly we're not pricing in a disruption at, you know, 80 or $90 oil, but I think it's uh, including a risk premium of around $10. If there was a disruption, then we'd be talking about triple digit oil prices. So what about natural gas markets then? What are the drivers behind U.S. prices easing while global prices remain really high? And then maybe, Ray, if you could follow up with the Canadian gas market perspective, and particularly what the impact is of the Blueberry decision for BC Activate and production. Yeah, Camilla. So, you know, natural gas prices have been, uh, you know, reasonably strong uh, this year and last year compared to where we've been over the last 10 years or so. A lot of that's driven by what we're seeing in Europe as well. So in Europe, we've had some cold weather. We've had very strong demand for natural gas. And at the same time, we've had some shortfalls of renewables. So, you know, we haven't had as much um, wind uh, fire generation available uh, in 2021. And that uh, increased reliance on natural gas. Germany shut down the last of their nuclear plants. That increased reliance on natural gas. 
And so we ended up in a situation where natural gas demand in Europe was very strong and it drew down their inventories. And so it created really a strong market for natural gas globally. And so we've seen record levels of natural gas prices in Europe. Also playing into that, Russia is the largest supplier of natural gas into Europe. They account for about 35% of the um, deliveries to Europe. And those deliveries are down about 25% year over year. And so I suspect a lot of that is really political posturing on the part of Russia with respect to getting the Nord Stream 2 pipeline permitted. And so we are in a situation where we are seeing a very tight market for natural gas globally, uh, but less tight in North America because North America, we can only export about 13 BCF a day of natural gas through LNG export facilities in the U.S. Gulf Coast. And so we're not fully connected to the international market because we can't export as much gas as we like. We can only export, as I said, up to 13 BCF a day. And if you think about the warm weather that we've had really on average to date so far in this winter heating season, that really accounts for why natural gas prices in North America have been a little bit weaker relative to those global prices. But overall, as I said, we're seeing much better pricing than we've seen over the last decade. Yeah. And and on Canada specifically, I mean, ACO uh, natural gas prices, what we think about that is it's going to be fairly muted uh, on a relative basis, even in comparison to the U.S. natural gas market. And what's really driving that is really just record production in Western Canada. So just after, you know, restrained growth that we saw both in 2019 and 2020, there was a strong price response and activity response because of the price. And so, you know, last year we saw over 400 million a day of year-over-year increase in production. And even this year, we're forecasting over 900 million a day of, of production growth. You know, what could mute this or basically alleviate some of the growth pressures that we're seeing in Western Canada is obviously BC activity. And, and right now in BC, there is a standstill between the BC and the Blueberry River First Nation in terms of any new oil and gas development. There was a recent election for the Blueberry River First Nation, and then they elected a new chief. And, and with that, from what we understand at least, is that there could be a thawing in terms of negotiations between the BC and the First Nation there. Uh, and with that, you know, potentially there could be increased activity, but you know, what we're forecasting is potentially in, in the second half of uh, 2022 is that there's, there will be a resolution. But in between, I think uh, activity in BC will be fairly muted. So let's finish out the macro story here. Randy, why don't we switch over to oil differentials, which have tightened, and BMO's been bullish on heavy oil. Can you walk us through your views here? Yeah, you know, we, uh, we export a lot of heavy oil out of Canada. It is the main thing that we produce out of the oil sands is heavy oil. And so it is a bit of a commodity within a commodity, if you will, subject to its own supply and demand dynamics. And in 2021, you know, the differentials were, you know, fairly wide in terms of the trading range. We saw them, you know, single digits, and then we saw them back up around the $15, $16 level. They settled down to about $12 or so now. And we think as we progress through the year here, they could tighten even further and move back to single digit levels. The reason for that is that the U.S. uh, continues to have a very high level of demand for heavy oil. And Canada is the largest heavy oil producer in the world. And so we do supply a lot of heavy oil to the United States. We supply 100% of the heavy oil that moves into the U.S. Midwest market or the Pad 2 market. And we supply about a third of the heavy oil that moves into the U.S. Gulf Coast or Pad 3 market. 
The other big supplier there is Mexico, and exports of heavy oil out of Mexico are dropping. And they're expected to drop really uh, sharply in 2023 when Mexico starts up a new heavy oil refinery. Um, and so really what Mexico wants to do is, is rather than importing uh, gasoline from the United States, they want to produce more of their own gasoline and they want to use their own heavy oil to produce that gasoline. And that creates a new market opportunity for Canadian heavy oil. Uh, as I said, we are the largest heavy oil producer in the world. And so there's going to be excess demand for Canadian heavy oil, we believe, in that pad three market. And luckily, we have some new pipeline capacity in place. So the Enbridge Line 3 uh, replacement is now up and running as the, as the uh, end of 2021. And then there's a pipeline called Capline that was reversed uh, in early January here that is also now flowing. And that runs down directly to the U.S. Gulf Coast. So this new pathway does provide incremental market access for Canadian heavy oil. And we think that pipeline combined with rising demand in that Gulf Coast market for Canadian heavy oil will create that pricing tension that results in even tighter spread. So the bottom line here is we think heavy oil prices will actually outperform oil prices overall because of that rising demand for that particular product. So let's turn to equities now. Both of you, Ray and Randy, let's get your perspective here on, on the equity outlook. Oil and gas equities outperformed in 2021. What does it look like in 2022? Is there anything that could drive them higher? You know, so 2021 was a, a great year for the oil and gas group after many, many years in the wilderness. And, you know, the main driver of that obviously was the recovery in oil prices from the lows in 2020. And we think we could see more of that in 2022, 2023, 2024, because we do believe that fundamentally oil prices will continue to move higher here. The world is not investing enough in new oil supply to keep pace with rising demand. And so consequently, we do think oil prices are going to continue to move higher to be the balancing mechanism between oil supply and demand. And so that will be one of the big drivers of equity performance. Interestingly, even though the equities performed so well last year, valuations remain at cycle lows. And the reason for that, of course, is that the companies generated so much free cash flow, they eliminated a lot of the debt on their balance sheet. And so the overall enterprise value really hasn't changed that much. And so when we look at the valuations, they haven't changed that much. But we do see the sector now in the best financial position it's been in since the mid 2000s. So the best shape in the last 15 years. When you look at the debt levels, when you look at the returns on capital. And so we see a lot of good financial indicators here that support an improvement in the valuation multiples from where they are today. We think the main driver of equity performance is going to continue to be the free cash flow that the sector's throwing off. They are trading at free cash yields in the range of 20% right now. And the companies are actually delivering that cash flow back to investors in the form of dividends and share buybacks. And so we're seeing a number of companies raise their dividends, some implementing special dividends or variable dividends. And we're seeing very aggressive share buyback programs where companies are buying 5 or 10% of their floats. And so we think that's going to be the primary driver of additional equity performances, those very high levels of shareholder cash returns that we're anticipating really through 2022 and over the next several years. The only thing I would add in particular, just uh, what would drive our performance in 2022. I, I think a, another big theme will be M&A. So we saw a lot of M&A last year and in, in 2021, a record uh, a level, to be quite honest. It was up to f over $14 billion worth of acquisitions that occurred last year. And it was the highest level since 2014. And, you know, I, I think for the small mid-cap group, 
consolidation is key in terms of you know ringing out any additional costs or excess costs and in addition to that just given how inexpensive the sector is i think um you know there is a lot of consolidation opportunity and a lot of assets for sale after kind of the the freeze that we had we we've had over the last decade or so in terms of assets that's been on the market and and it's been kind of left for dead so I think M&A will improve costs for the sector. And in addition to that, a lot of these companies have free cash flow that can acquire these assets within the confines of their balance sheets without actually raising equity too. Ray, I'm glad you brought up M&A. Randy, is the uh, outlook for M&A similar in your space? You know, so we've seen some big deals, obviously, amongst the large companies. Uh, Synovus uh, buying Husky and merging with Husky. Uh, in late 2020 and, and really kind of uh, merging that company in through 2021 and then ARC and seven generations. You know, we still see the scope for additional consolidation within the large caps uh, in the sector. So Meg comes to mind as a potential M&A target. They've got $7 billion of tax pools, but also assets. You know, Chevron still owns 20% of the oil sands asset that CNQ is now the majority owner and operator of. And so potentially there's an opportunity there for Canadian Natural Resources to buy Chevron out of that uh, particular asset. And then similarly, you know, with Synovus and their partnership with BP, we wouldn't be surprised to see um, Synovus unwind that partnership with BP. So we do expect to see some asset transfers, if you will, but uh, less M&A in the large caps, just uh, given there's fewer companies left to consolidate. So Ray, what about the inflationary environment? What's happening to costs in the sector generally? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, costs are going to be a major theme in in 2022, and and largely because of the general inflation that we're seeing globally for any commodities right now. So, you know, most producers that uh, we talk to across North America are indicating anywhere between five to ten percent in terms of cost increases from you know 2021, and the bulk of the the cost increases are actually coming through because of labor, tubular steel costs, chemical costs uh, in general. And, you know, in our opinion, I think those costs will likely continue. You know, partially it could be mitigated from the fact that producers are more efficient relative to, to where they were over the last couple of years. Having said that, though, just given the, the, the constraints that we're seeing, particularly in labor, costs will increase. And you know, where we see costs, you know, increasing by additionally, I mean, we wouldn't be surprised to see another 5% increase, at least in the back half of this year, just driven, uh, just given the fact that oil prices are and commodity prices are so strong right now. And uh, we wouldn't be surprised to see producers reevaluate their 2022 program mid this year. Overall, you know, despite kind of the cost increases that we're actually seeing, uh, we still feel that these producers will generate strong returns on capital employed. And then the fact that the margin uplift just from the stronger commodity prices more than offsets kind of the increases in, in, uh, in service inflation that we're forecasting for this year. And to close out, can both of you highlight any recommendation for equities? And I'll remind listeners that we're recording this at the end of January. Yeah, Camilla. So as I mentioned, you know, we think free cash flow is going to continue to be the main driver of equity performance here. So really, the equities that we recommend are those companies that we think are best positioned to put more of that cash in shareholders' pockets. So for us, Synovus continues to stand out as our favorite within the large cap space. 
we believe there's ample opportunity for them to increase their dividend aggressively in 2022 and 2023. The companies indicated that they see the ability to increase that by a factor of four times. So we think we could actually see that dividend doubled in 2022. And at the same time, they're buying back shares. And we think that they are in a position to upsize their share buyback program. Uh, Conoco uh, continues to be a seller of their position in Sonovas. We're expecting them to be done sometime in the second quarter. And once they're done, uh, we believe Sonovas' share buyback program could create some incremental pricing tension for that stock. The other company that we continue to like is Kenny Natural Resources for much the same reason, generating a lot of free cash flow that we think can find its way into shareholders' pockets. And so we believe they will continue to be aggressive with both their dividend as well as their share buyback program, and that will continue to push the share price higher. Both of those companies are also heavy oil producers. Sonovas, of course, the largest heavy oil producer. And so, you know, that uh, strong pricing environment for heavy oil should also uh, translate to uh, some better equity performance for those companies because of that heavy oil exposure. We also like Tourmaline, uh, which is one of those companies that does have a special dividend. And so uh, they've had a special dividend that they uh, paid out in the fourth quarter of 2021. Another one they're paying out this quarter. And we won't be surprised if they do a special dividend each quarter, as well as buying back 10% of their float. So you know, returns to shareholders from that company could be in the range of 20% in terms of direct cash returns to shareholders' pockets. So those would be our top three recommendations amongst the large caps. Yeah, in, in the small mid-cap space, I mean, my favorite name is Headwater uh, Expiration. And the reason why we like that name is because they're one of the few growing companies in, in our space in that they're forecasted to grow close to 60% per share year over year this year compared to last year from a production standpoint. In addition to that, they have among the highest return on capital employed numbers relative to our peer group. So, you know, they should be generating close to over 35% return on capital employed versus the peer group in that kind of 15%. In addition to that, they're only spending half of the cash flow that they're going to generate just to generate that growth this year. And so they're going to generate free cash flow. They already have close to $100 million of cash on the balance sheet. And I just wouldn't be surprised if, you know, by the end of this year, if there's no acquisitions on the table, that they pay out a special dividend in, in around kind of a, a, a dollar a share. So, you know, you have a combination of both high growth company as well as potential return of capital from that perspective. The next two names that we like are Crescent Point as well as Enterplus. And both those names I can talk in, in uh, kind of the same vein in that they're both you know, lower growth entities, and, but still generate a huge amount of free cash flow. So they've, both companies have done excellent jobs managing through the downturn in, in 2020. But overall, you know, they've come out stronger by making some strategic acquisitions in 2021. And with that, realizing the benefit in that they generate a significant amount of free cash flow, they're increasing their dividends, they're doing buybacks this year, and both of them are being aggressive from that uh, standpoint. So we wouldn't be surprised for if both those companies continue on with their free cash flow bent and return more capital back to shareholders. Randy and Ray, thank you very much for joining us today. That was Randy Olenberger and Ray Kwan, who are oil and gas analysts with our global equity research team. BMO Capital Markets is proud to deliver thoughtful analysis of upcoming equity research trends that will prove important to clients' investment decisions 
through both its Intune podcast, as well as our commodity-specific Metal Matters, hosted by Colin Hamilton. If you enjoyed today's Intune podcast, please do subscribe and rate it. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.